do love Christmas season. There's, there's a lot to be thankful for. There's a lot to look forward to. There's a lot to experience. Uh, my prayer is that today you will not hear anything that I say, but everything that the Lord says from His Word. Uh, that's what we want to dig into and, and look at this. It's quite a challenge, to be honest with you. Our series called Regift. Uh, the idea is we are to re-gift what God has given us. What are the things that God has given us that he expects us to give to other people? Um, I've been tasked with the challenge of love. That's a big one. And uh, so for the next three hours, we will unpack that. And uh, I'm just kidding. No one's ever been mad at a short sermon. So we'll go there. So let me let me share some thoughts with you today. And, uh, we're going to be all over the scriptures, so be ready to turn different places. They'll all be on the screen as well. We're not going to be in one place. We're going to be in lots of places um, because God says it in a whole lot of places in Scripture. He deals with this. There was a great theologian one time. His name is Huey Lewis. He rhythmically said to us, the power of love is a curious thing. Make a one man weep. Make another man sing. It's strong and it's sudden and it's cruel sometimes. But it might just save your life. That's the power of love. More than a feeling. That's the power of love. Now that song is stuck in your head. For us 80s nerds. Uh, he is not the greatest theologian to ever speak about love. Uh, he just wrote a song about it that's very memorable. Uh, the best place to go when you're looking for God's command in regards to love is through his scriptures. Uh, specifically through the life of Jesus. He modeled it, he spoke of it, and we would be wise to listen to it. So we're going to jump into scriptures and see what he says about this idea of love and how we re-gift it. 1 John 4, 19 says this, we love because he first loved us. Now I can say amen and we can go home right here because that's a whole sermon in itself. It's a whole challenge by itself, but it's very direct to us. We love because he first loved us. We are not capable of loving on our own to the level of love that God has commanded us. We can, we can absolutely participate in a worldly version of it, a watered-down, perverted version of it, but we cannot truly understand it without God being in it. We love because he first loved us. Romans 5, 8 says this, but God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There, there's a picture of something God gave to us. The love that he gave to us was demonstrated specifically through Jesus and what he did on the cross. 1 John 4, verses 9 and 10 says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. There's the command. He has so loved us, we should return and love others. There it is, re-gift love. There's the command, black and white. It's very simple right there for us to hear. It's very difficult to put into practice. But since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. His gift is perfect. His gift is love, and it's available for us. So it's pretty simple. How do we re-gift love? 
Well, he tells us right there, since God loved us, we also love one another. The directions are simple, but there's a million ways to mess it up, just like an Ikea project. And then you get frustrated with the leftover parts. I guess you got to understand what to do in all of that. So how do we do this? First thing that we need to understand is this, and, and if you don't get anything else in the whole sermon, don't miss this piece right here. You cannot give what you do not have. If we're supposed to re-give something, that means we received it first. You cannot give away something that you've never received. You cannot give away something that you do not have. Wouldn't it be awesome if I said everybody in here walks out with a million dollars today? That would be pretty great. It would also be impossible. I don't have a million dollars, much less a million for all of you. So it's not going to happen. I can't give you what I do not have. We can't do that. Here's, here's something that, that we as our student ministry a few weeks ago, I tried to emphasize to them when it comes to this idea of gift giving and what we do. As a culture today, we tend to look at a whole lot of things in regards to their price tag. That's where we start. No matter what it is, there's, I thought about pulling out all the most expensive gifts and telling you, if we spend this on this, we spend this on a new car or an any pot or whatever we need to get for Christmas, right? So we want all the different things. But the idea is we need to quit looking at a price tag and start looking at value. That's what we need to do. The things that have value, the price tag usually is free. The significance that's there. So a few weeks ago, the Wednesday after Thanksgiving, for our Wednesday night, I challenged our students to be the message instead of listen to a message that night. And what we did, we set up 10 different stations around the youth building with 10 different people, ministries, missionaries, whatever, and we would write them notes of encouragement for Christmas. Here in this area in Romania, where we're going to go serve this next summer. Uh, the, the church planters in Seattle that we got to go serve with last summer. Uh, I, there was a whole group of people, all these different ones that we got to write these notes to. And, and I told the students in there, don't focus on the price, because this costs you nothing. But if you look at the value, it changes everything. And one of the people that we sent it to, his name is Otto. And our students know Otto. He's been our square dance caller for 100 years on Wednesday night during the summertime. Um, he's fantastic. Uh, I met him a long time ago, and, and it's great. It's not your elementary school. It's not your partner. Like, we do all kinds of fun things. So, am I, can I get an amen from the students? Okay, thank you. I hope you like him. But uh, he's retired now. He's 87 years old. Um, and he's one that we sent cards to. And we've been sending cards to him for a long time. The first time that we sent them was when his first wife passed away. And he was struggling. And uh, so we just wrote a note of encouragement for, for Christmas. We did it again this year. And we sent them out. On Tuesday of this week, I got a phone call. And, uh, and it was his wife, Clara, and she said, hey, Alan, this is Clara, we, we got the cards that you sent. I said, I'm so glad that you got them, we love sending them to you and Otto. Um, and she said, we could barely get through them because of our kids. It just meant so much. His dementia's not doing great, he can't put thoughts together very well, he rarely completes sentences anymore. But when we finished reading the cards, he said, Clara, can we go see them? So I'm calling to see if we can come. Yes, come on. So this last Wednesday night, before Powerhouse, Otto and Claire show up at the house. They come walking in. And, and we just get to love them. And he brought every stack of cards that we've sent him for the last week. So he brought all those cards. And, and he said, I knew if I came here, I would be loved. He lives in Huntsville. It's three hours away. 
So he drives up to be here at 7, doesn't leave until 8.30 to go home. Because he wanted to be in a place where he knew he would be loved. See the value of that? You can't put a price on it. We paid postage. But it had an impact on someone of significance that's been a part. I, I don't ever want to assume that everyone who's hearing this has received this gift. I don't ever want to take for granted and go, yeah, everybody in here, you're already a Christian. You already understand all this. 1 John 4, 7 and 8 says this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Do you know God? Have you met this love? Because God is love. And scripture's pretty clear here. I'm not making this stuff up. It says very clearly, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. There is an evidence opportunity to show if we are Christ followers. This is a filter that we can use. To say, we can say with our mouths all the time, I love God, I love God, I know God. But is love evident in your life? Because if it's not, it says you don't know God. Whoever does not love does not know God. And we're going to talk a little bit about what love means. I don't have time to unpack all of the things. You can look that up on your own. But I want to talk about how we re-gift this thing. But I have to start with, you can't give away something you don't have. Have you received his love? Do you know that he is the Lord of your life? Do you know Jesus? If you don't, I pray today is the day that you walk out of here, that you know that you know that you've received the love of God and it empowers you to love others because everything else I'm about to say cannot be done without God. It can't. It can be a fake version, a lesser version, but it cannot be everything God wants it to be unless you have his love. We love because he first loved us. If we don't receive his love first, we're not able to love like he wants us to. And I don't think anyone wants to go through life without love. One of our core values is to fight for the hearts of the next generation. If we're going to re-gift love and we're going to love one another, the easiest thing to do, if you're going, I don't even know how to do this, well, I don't even know how to start, I don't even know what to... How about this? How about we love the things that God loves? How about we start there? And our core value is to fight for the hearts of the next generation. See, in our preschool kids and youth ministry, we believe that kids are a vital part of the church now and in the future. They're not the future of our church. They are our church. We all are our church. But they also have value in the future. We want to partner with parents to fight for their hearts so they can know Jesus now and love Jesus forever. That's the heart of why we fight for the hearts of the next generation. 1 Thessalonians 2.8 says this, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. That, that's the theme verse for our student ministry. That's a big picture for our family ministry. And I'm so grateful to be a part of a church that values family ministry to the point that we will fight for the hearts of the next generation and not just babysit them. Too many churches want to babysit kids while we do real church in here. Let me tell you something. Real church is happening right over there in the preschool hall right now. Real church is happening on the second floor in kids' church right now. 
We have amazing people and volunteers that are a part of this stuff. They show up for small groups, kids' church, Awana, powerhouse, camps, and more, living this out. I cannot tell you how proud I am of the teams that God has put together and is continuing to put together to fight for the hearts of the next generation. We talk about, in our, in our ministry, in our family ministry, we talk a lot about the idea of the difference between a travel agent and a tour guide. Travel agents sit behind a desk or a computer and tell you where you should go. A tour guide gets up and walks with you and points out the awesome things and tells you what things to avoid so you don't get hurt. See, that's what a tour guide does. And we're looking for people who want to fight for the hearts of the next generation, who want to re-give love to the next generation by being a tour guide for them in life. That's what we're looking for in that. You want to re-give love, then come fight for the hearts of the next generation with us. Come talk to Jenny. Come talk to her about what it is to be a first touch of Jesus to our little ones. It's not just diaper changing. That's, that's part of it. Just for the ladies, though, not for guys. <laughs> uh, but it's a first touch of God's love to the littles. You sing over them. You, you talk about the Bible over them. You quote scripture over them. They don't even understand. You know what? They can still hide in their heart. It can still make impact on them that's there. Maybe you should talk with Sam. She gets back from giving birth, or Emily in the meantime, um, about jumping into a, a kid's small group at 945. What a great way to go and fight for the hearts of the next generation by opening God's word with them. Just sitting with them. Maybe doing a craft. When VBS sign-up comes out, are you going to sign up for that to come fight for the hearts of the next generation and re-give some love there? Maybe during our services, you can jump into kids' church once a month. So you know what? I'm going to go do that. I'm going to re-gift love. It'll cost me a little bit because I might have to go to early service and serve it late. Or go to early service then then serve it late. However that may work for you, it's a little extra time. But aren't they worth it? Isn't that a command to, to re-gift love in that way? I'm, I am more than happy to talk to you about working with teenagers. I know they're intimidating and scary. But they don't fight very hard. But there's amazing things we get to do with them in life. It's amazing the conversations that you can have when you'll sit down with them and not judge them ahead of time. And not think they're just video game and title leagues. I've seen them change the world. They may not make the bed, but they'll change the world. I tell you, a week doesn't go by that I don't see one of our volunteers showing up at a concert or a performance or a game to re-give love to those people. It's not hard. It's sacrificial. When you fight for something, it gets messy. I understand that. Preschool's messy. Kids' ministry's messy. Teenagers are messy. All in very different ways, by the way. But isn't it worth fighting for? To show them how much they're loved? One way that we can re-give love is to fight for the hearts of Another one of our core values is this, to embrace your mission field. Now, I could talk a long time about that. You can go back and listen to the sermon that we did the one on embrace your mission field. But, but I want to zoom in just a little bit on that. Matthew 22, verses 36 through 39, when, when Jesus is talking with his disciples and talking about kind of this idea of mission field. Verse 36, it says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? What's the greatest one? Jesus replied, 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. We want to re-gift love, that we need to embrace our mission field, because there's so many people that need the love of Christ. There's so many people that need to see it. Now, I will say this, and it may be controversial, but I believe it to be true. All scripture is, not, is equally inspired, but it's not equally important. Wait a minute, it's all important. Yes, it is. It's equally inspired. But when Jesus himself says, greatest, and that means something else is not the greatest, and he says, the greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets, everything written in here to that point hangs on those two things. They're the two big nails that everything hangs on. And if we're going to re-gift love and embracing our mission field, we've got to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love our neighbor as ourself. In humility, consider others better than yourself, not more quality. It's not thinking of, of yourself less. It's not, it's not doing that. It, it's, it's, it's loving them with the love of Christ. And we're asked to do that. And when he says that the greatest thing we should do is to love God and love others, we need to do it. Who's your neighbor? That becomes the next question. We know what our mission field is now. To love God and love others. Love our neighbor. Who's our neighbor? Let me simply explain it to you. Everyone you ever come in contact with. Everyone. In your home, your work, in your school, and in your shopping, in your going out to eat, in, in your online activities. Everyone is your neighbor. And we need to think that through. I, I want to give you a bit of a challenge. Uh, a re-gift love challenge. It could be this week. It could be next year. It could be an ongoing thing. But I just want to throw it out there to you. When you go out to eat, you order food and all that stuff. When you're going to bless your meal, ask your server how you can pray for them. I remember when I first got here all those years ago, and I was out to eat with Mark, and uh, we're sitting there eating, and uh, she brings our food to us, and, and as she brings the food, Mark looks up at her and says, hey, we're about to, to bless our meal. Is there anything I can pray for you about? And I got real uncomfortable. What are you doing? That's not part of the meal. Like, I was uncomfortable with this. Like, and, and, and it took her back, too. She's like, well, uh, no one's ever asked me that. I don't even know if you remember this. Because you do it a million times. But um, I'm terrible at it. I, I'll be honest. I don't do it all the time. Because I forget because I'm hungry and starving. And uh, being honest, Mark is awesome. But just that example, he's been studying for 30 years. But, but she didn't know what to say at first. And, and so Mark actually kind of coached her through some stuff and asked her some questions that made her realize, yeah, I could use prayer for that. I could you know, ask about her family and ask about this. And, and then he prayed, and I, I'm a sinner. I will confess. I opened my eyes during his prayer. And I looked over, and she was standing off watching us. She watched Mark keep his word. He regifted love. Just in that moment, what a powerful thing it is. So I challenge you to do that. Now, here's some rules around that. Don't ask and then not pray about it. Don't ask, and, and I'm not saying you have to pray about it every day the rest of your life. You have to pray about it at that meal. 
And so pray about it at that meal. Parents, model that for your kids. Students, model that for your parents. You take the lead on that. Like, go and re-give love in a simple way that's there. Now, rule number two around this. Don't leave a terrible tip after you do that. <laughs> like, we want to be generous in all things, right? It's one of our core values. We want to be generous in love and prayer, but also with that, that tip. I'm not saying it needs to be extravagant, but it needs to be something that says, I love you, care about you. My prayers matter because I'm taking them to God under that. Like, how cool of an opportunity is that for us to do? And yet, we have a reputation as churchgoers to be the worst tippers in the world. Service don't want to work Sunday afternoon because it's church people that come. Let's change that. Let's give love. Let's re-gift this love. And that's one way that we can do that. We can take this opportunity to be generous with our love through prayer and back it up with a tip that shows love to that server. Maybe write a note on the receipt. Thanks for letting me pray for you. I can invite them to our Christmas Eve services next week. There's an opportunity for that conversation to go further. There's an opportunity for that to happen. John 3.16 simply says... For God so loved the world that he gave. Not 10%. He gave his son. His only son. So whoever believes in him will not die but have everlasting life. Talk about the greatest re-gift of love ever. It was that. If you want to re-gift love, then embrace your mission field. Start at home and work and school and work your way out on that. If you're thinking more, let me challenge you on this too. We have a missions pastor, Jim Rowan, who is passionate about taking the gospel to the world. And he starts in Round Rock. He's not passionate about only leaving the country. He's passionate about starting here and spreading to the world. His goal is that every single person who comes to Central would go on a mission trip in their life. That's one of his goals. That's a pretty dang big goal. 100% of the people go on a mission trip. I love that he dreams big. I love that he wants that to happen. Maybe, maybe you talk to him and say, hey, I need to go local. Maybe I want to go domestic. Maybe I want to go international. He has all of that. If you want to do it for just a day, he's got it. A weekend, okay, a week, yeah, a month, yeah. He can make it happen. It's amazing what you can do when you embrace your mission field with intentionality. You say, I want to go make a difference in that thing. I, I love the mission trips we get to take in student ministry. I love that we can go to Romania, and I love that this next week we're going to the soup kitchen. And everywhere in between. It's awesome to re-gift love in such a specific and particular way for that. Soup kitchen, love the rock, agape pregnancy center. You don't lack for options. We lack for motivation. We're good at excuses. Let's not be a church that makes excuses, but be a church that makes a difference. Let's be intentional in regifting love to our mission field. A third core value that we have is that we are better together. Now, that typically responds to the command that we have to be gathering together uh, as worship and small groups and, and, and those kind of things because it's a reminder that it's not good to be alone. But what I want to do is is get a little bit more specific than that. I want to take a minute and talk about re-gifting love in our marriages. The whole idea of it's not good for man to be alone happened way back when God created Adam. 
Go all the way back to Genesis to read the story that's there before sin ever entered the world, before there was anything bad that God could say, well, that's sinful, that's bad. Nothing had happened that was sinful, and yet God still said, it's not good. Something's not good. It's not good for man to be alone. Terrible by sin. So what did he do? He gave three cures to the crisis of aloneness. I would argue aloneness is still the greatest crisis of mankind today. And he gave us three cures for the crisis of aloneness. It's not good for man to be alone. So what did he give us? Marriage, family, and the church. That's what he gave us. And, and we would do well to make those things places where God's love is evident. So I want to dig in a little bit about this idea of regifting love in our marriages. I, I just this last year did my 100th wedding. Got to do my 100th. Uh, Grant Tally, shout out to you all. Uh, thanks for letting me do that. They're still married. Uh, so that's good. I wish I could say that to every wedding I've ever done, but it's not the case. Uh, the enemy attacks hard. But God gave job descriptions for a husband and a wife in Ephesians chapter 5. So I want to look at the husband's job description. And ladies, don't start elbowing. You're coming to. But in Ephesians chapter 5, I'm going to skip around verses 25, 28, 33, because those are the highlights of the job description for a husband. Starting in verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's strong. I have to, right out of the gate, the first thing he says. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. Gave himself up for her. Doesn't say love your wives as they did in that movie. Love your wives as they did in that book. Love your wives until it makes you feel good. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Want to re-gift love in your marriage? Then love her like Christ loved the church. Single ladies, don't settle for a man who doesn't love you like Christ loves the church. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. If we want to re-gift love, let's do a checkup on our marriages this holiday season. Maybe it works a little slower. You have some downtime. Maybe you can have a, a real conversation about what this looks like because we all said the right things on our wedding day. But are we living them out? Better for us. Terrifically for us. Sickness in us. See, this is a sacrificial love. This is a, a love that is selfless, not selfish. This is a love that puts someone else above ourselves. Like Jesus. As Chris talked about last week, this is a love that forgives. This is a love that is willing to drop the phone, the game, the video game, the trip, or maybe even the job so you can be present with your wife. As I've learned many times in my marriage, it's to listen with your face and not just your ears. When he's talking to me, and I'm not really paying attention to the game, but it's on, you know, I can talk. And I get this, listen to what you're saying. And she turns my face to face hers. So maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's to keep pursuing her. To keep dating her. Maybe it's to make the kids gross out because you kids are flirting. That's always a fun challenge. 
Maybe it's to let everyone see Jesus in your marriage because it's supposed to be the thing that looks most like heaven here on earth. He created marriage as a cure for the crisis of aloneness. He created it as a picture of heaven because he calls us his bride and then he gives us the opportunity to take a bride on earth. Don't miss that correlation that's there. The picture of our marriages is a picture of heaven. Why do you think the enemy attacks it full bore all the time? Because he hates it. He hates that it represents Jesus. He hates that people can see heaven in the way that you treat your wife, in the way that your marriage goes. We want to re-give love in our marriages, and people should see something different, not perfection. Matter of fact, it's in the imperfections that they see Jesus the most. It's in the forgiveness. It's in the fighting for each other instead of against each other. This is the picture of re-gifting love that's here. My parents got a divorce when I was in high school. I remember it. As a youth pastor, I've watched many students suffer the consequences of their parents' choices in their marriage. I've done premarital for couples who come in who are already questioning whether it'll work before they even start because of what was modeled for and what is modeled for them in our world today. See, I don't believe that marriage as an institution is broken and should be given up on. Our culture seems to think that. I don't think that at all. I don't think marriage as God intended it is broken at all. What I think is broken is our definition of love. And if we can recapture the definition of love that God gives us to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, the best is yet to come for marriages. I absolutely believe that. And I live that out as best I can with my wife in that way. I'm doing premarital with two couples right now, doing one of their weddings in January. And I love that we can sit down and have conversations that are very serious about the foundation of love in their marriage and the only way it's going to survive is Jesus. And they're open to it. And they're excited about it. It's not easy, but it's worth it. I told you ladies, you're not going to be off the hook. So listen. That last verse in Ephesians said that you must respect your husband. It doesn't say if he deserves it. It doesn't say if he's better than someone else you can compare him to. See, that's not fair. You're comparing him to highlights of other people. It's not real life. I would argue that a synonym for love in the eyes of a man is respect. A man feels love when he's respected. And love changes us. Consider what that looked like, what that might look like in your marriage. I, I don't know every marriage is different, and so I don't have this one, two, three formula that we do these things and all it's fine. Every man defines respect differently. And it needs to be within the boundaries of God's word. And there's I'm trying to do lessons on that right now. You can look that up. Of respect and see and have that conversation. What would that look like? Because they, that's, that's not a suggestion that God gives. It's a command. And, and again, I, I believe that love and respect in this context are synonyms for that. I could even offer a synonym for love for our wives, guys. I, I would argue that a synonym for love to our wives is safe. When your wife feels safe physically, spiritually, emotionally, she feels loved. Because her heart's in a good place and it's not all amped up and anxiety. 
Because she knows that there's a man that will fight for her heart, that will make her heart a priority. And so when she feels safe, she feels loved. Have those conversations that are there. You know, the first marriage that God made when he made Adam and Eve, he said they were naked and unashamed. Yes, there was a physical piece to that, but there was so much more emotional and spiritual that went with that. Naked and unashamed meant completely vulnerable and safe. I can be naked and unashamed in this relationship because it's safe. Because I'm respected. Because they feel loved. If you want to re-gift love, then let's be better together in our marriages and love each other like Jesus. So, why do we need to re-gift love? Remember at the beginning I told you that God is love? So when you re-gift love, you are giving God to others. Right? If God is love, and we believe that to be true, he says that it's true in here, and the challenge is to re-gift love, to love one another, but God is love, then we're literally giving God to others when we re-gift love. What I want to read to you is some common scriptures in an uncommon way. So bear with me as I read them. 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 4. God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy. God does not boast. God is not proud. God does not dishonor others. God is not self-seeking. God is not easily angered. God keeps no record of wrongs. God does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. God always protects. God always trusts. God always hopes. God always perseveres. God never fails. And when we look at this scripture and replace the word love with God, it changes my perspective. It changes how I think about God again and again and again. And if I can capture the picture of God as he is described there to himself, he is love. And then defines love this way. This is who he is. This is how we show love to others. This is how we re-gift it. And it changes my whole process of that. My whole thinking on that. First John chapter 4, verse 18. There is no fear in God, but our perfect God drives out fear. How comforting is that? To know there's something greater than fear. 1 Peter 4, 8, above, love each, above all, love each other deeply because God covers a multitude of sins. I'm good at a multitude of sins. Thank God he covers it. Thank God he gives me the opportunity in my marriage, in my <coughs> embracing my mission, in my fighting for the hearts of the next generation. We're going to mess up, but God covers that. Who would not want the gift of God? Who would not want this gift that we just described in these verses right here? Why would we ever keep that gift to ourselves? Why would we ever say, give me more, give me more, give me more, and then hoard it all to ourselves and never share it with anyone else? Here's the thing. God never runs out of love. He is love. He'll never quit giving it to us. He'll never give up on us. All of us can probably think of someone that gave up on us and it hurt. It's not God. He never fails. Why would we not offer that to people that are hurting? Why would we not offer that to people that we say we love? Why would we not offer that to people that we encounter in our world? And we can think about the worst of the worst. Oh, they're terrible. They've done terrible things. Do you think they would hate to be given the gift of love? Maybe they need it more than anything. 
Maybe that's why they are where they are, because no one offered them the gift of love. And again, when I say love, I say God is love. We're going to re-gift love. We're going to give them Jesus. We're going to talk about it unashamedly. We're going to open the scriptures and dig in for ourselves so we can hide it in our hearts so we have it to give. You can't give what you don't have. And if you're blocking God's love out of bitterness, hurt, unforgiveness, I'm sorry. But your only hope is to receive that love. And then give it away. That's the challenge this Christmas. The power of love might just save your life. If you want to receive this love today, if you're sitting here going, I know about this love, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'm good enough. I, you don't know what I've done now. I've messed up too bad. I'm too far gone. You're wrong. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. And I can give you a thousand scriptures in here about God's love fighting for you. You are not disqualified. You're just missing it. 